0: Some people think little girls should be seen and not heard. One, two,
1: three, four! People do feel very radically different about gender experience. I mean that's just like the rules of feminism.
2: That diversity is like the number one thing I think that has to be reckoned with.
0: Agenda with Tanya Ali and Katie Winton.
2: Good morning, you are tuned in to Agenda on FBI Radio, your Saturday morning fix of art, politics and trash from a feminist perspective. My name is Tanya Arley.
3: And I'm Katie Winton and Agenda on FBI Radio is broadcast on Gadigal land and I'd like to acknowledge the Gadigal people as the original custodians of the land that we broadcast on and pay my respects to their elders past and present. I also acknowledge the significance of Redfern as a place of strength, resistance, knowledge sharing and storytelling for many communities and would like to honour that history.
2: It is our second last show ever of Agenda. Uh, We mentioned last week that Agenda will be finishing forever on December 1st. Katie, what are we even going to do with our (laughs) Saturday
3: mornings? I I mean, if anyone's free on Saturday mornings from December 1st, please let me know. I actually (laughs) don't know how to have free time. Um, So that's going to be interesting. No, I was actually talking to Alison from All The Best yesterday and she (laughs) she congratulated me on putting the nail in the coffin Um, (laughs) and she also called the end of agenda, putting a stop to the madness um, quitting while you're ahead and <laughs> this is my favorite one admitting defeat Wow
4: tell us what you really <laughs> think Alison.
2: Yeah. Some, some
3: quite like contradictory uh, sayings there Alison, so I guess thank you <laughs> <laughs>
2: If you do have any thoughts or any sayings (laughs) to give us for the end of Agenda, please text us on 0409 945 945. We'd love to hear from you. (laughs) No, but in all
3: all seriousness, um, I was really nervous to tell Izzy that we're wrapping up Agenda because she and I, Isabel Hawthorben and I started the show together back in 2016 and she moved overseas this year and I sent her this, like, very lengthy email about why I can't do it anymore and I need to take a break and she replied with... An equally lengthy email back, um, which I'm just going to quote her on. Sorry, Izzy, I didn't actually ask her, but she won't mind. Um, It was really lovely. She said, I really hope you don't see this as sad or disappointing. You're making room for another show um, to come through in its place, and that's great. Um, Honestly, Taking a step back and reassessing what I want from life and projects and everything has been so fucking revolutionizing for my mental health. And I feel like I can breathe, which is really nice and apparently very important for all different parts <laughs> of my life. Um, and then she said, I don't feel like I need to outline how important agenda was. Even if you think it wasn't changing the world, it, d- it did give people a platform and room to be heard. And some of those conversations were incredible. Mm, which I love was, that. yeah. So we have Izzy's permission to, <laughs> to call it quits. To quit while we're ahead. Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> very, very important. And I guess the wonderful thing is that all of those conversations that, you know, you and Izzy and me and Mari have had throughout the two years um, of Agenda will always live on and, you like, everyone can always listen back using their <laughs> oh, favourite <God>. podcast app. <laughs> yeah. Um, I am also really excited to get a little bit rogue with these last two shows. So Katie, you, Murray and I are just going to play songs that are really important to us. (laughs) Self-indulgent, why not? (laughs) So we get two songs per show, right?
3: Yeah, right. So this is one of my favourite things to do and I can't promise that mine (laughs) won't all be friendship love song dedications. Um, I have taken this task very seriously, Tanya, and I've been thinking about it all week, um, about which songs I'll play and why, and it's been... It's been quite stressful, but I've landed on a few. So
2: Yeah, nice. No, stay tuned. I, I can't wait. Um I I've seen a few of them and I'm very excited. Um, I actually did the opposite and I got like really overwhelmed with the task of finding songs. Um because it represented the end of agenda, which I am still a little bit in denial about. Don't really want to think about that. So I think I'm just going to make my decisions how I pretty much always end up making any decision, just going blindly with my gut above all else. Um, And in that, I think that friendship, love song, dedications are pretty inevitable because I think from hanging out with you so much, Katie, I almost see every song as a representation (laughs) of some sort of friendship, no matter how tenuous. (laughs) It's always there. Um, You have had such an impact on me. We'll save all that shit
3: for next week. I'm so glad. I'm so glad that you now see every song as a friendship love song dedication.
2: (laughs) If there was one legacy you could hope for. For sure. Um, But speaking about friendship and I guess about kinship as well, you had a conversation with Virginia Barat from... Uh, in her interior, about Xenoblood, uh, a multi platform artwork showing online at Sister Gallery, featuring a multi user environment, performing avatars, live performance, experimental hypertext fiction, and a hand bound Zen Zine?
3: Yeah, so the Xenoblood project, um, which is a multi platform exhibition for Sister Gallery, is a project of in their interior, which is uh, Virginia Francesca DiRamini and Alice Farmer. And I had a really great conversation with Virginia about open platforming family. Um, Which, yeah, we'll hear a little bit more about that later. Um, But I just want to quote a little bit of the work. So it's uh, in their interior says, um, together and separately, we practice the creation of home through parenting, mentoring, witchery, domestic and emotional support, daily effective labour and the labour of care. We do this for each other and for others strangely attracted to this arrangement. Uh, through these practices, we provide a haven from or extension to the nu- nuclear family unit for outliers on the brink of that system.
2: Farah, right, yeah. I'm really, really looking forward to hearing that conversation. And we'll also hear from Alex Degaris, who's one of the co-directors of Sister Gallery, to talk a bit about their online exhibition platform.
3: Yeah, so Agenda Today is all about chosen illogical families. And I also had a conversation with Quinn Eads. Um, we talked about a queer stories event called Chosen Family Christmas that's coming up soon. So we'll hear that conversation a a little bit later. Quinn also co-edited a book called Going Postal, More Than Yes or No, which is a collection of queer marginalised voices on the experience of life during Australia's 2017 voluntary marriage survey um, and in the years since and what's kind of happened um, following that.
2: It is just so wild to me that it's been a whole year since all of that bullshit. Like, yeah, I just can't really... Even, I don't know, seeing all of this stuff about the anniversary of it, I feel very mixed feelings as I'm sure you do. I think a
3: lot of people do and Quinn really touches on that as well um, and talks about the launch of that book, which I'm really excited about. Yeah, I think I always get a bit anxious around this time of year anyway with all the pressure on like celebration and reflection and I catch myself saying things like, this year I've done this and like put in Mm. these very arbitrary and I guess quite colonial measures of time on everything I have or haven't done in like a 12-month period, which... I don't know, I think ultimately it's a setup for disappointment, like achievements or things that I value can I can reflect on at any time, Tanya. <laughs> um, so anyway, I yeah, I was particularly interested in talking about some events and works that are happening at the moment that talk about chosen family structures for agenda today.
2: Yeah, I totally agree that this time of the year is such a weird and self reflexive in a bad way type of time. Um, but the theme of queer and logical family structures that we're going along with is very centering. I'm really excited.
3: Yeah, it's really, it'll be really interesting, I think, to hear from Virginia and Quinn on the differences and similarities in their perspectives on that. I've been thinking a lot about agenda as our own kind of family structure and how the word family popped up when we talk about how we work together. I often say agenda family member when I'm talking about like Nadia Hernandez or Oni Blue or someone that we've worked with quite extensively And I guess it was never really a term that we did a lot of thinking about as to why we use it. But it made the most sense to me to describe the way that we all work together. Um, Yeah, I'm really leaning into my emotions with these (laughs) last two shows. But I I truly think that everyone who's worked on Agenda has had um, like so much passion and commitment. And people doing it voluntarily every Saturday morning has really taught me a lot about love and kindness and chosen families. And what Izzy's mum calls critical friendship, like this ability to be really close friends and still
2: be able to get things done and challenge each other critically. Mm. It's really not easy. It is absolutely (laughs) not easy, but it's so invaluable. Like, you know that you have a pretty unbreakable friendship when you're able to continually constructively discuss things and disagree and like disagreement just leads to learning from each other which is so important and hopefully agenda has prompted like conversations that listeners have also had that kind of have brought them closer together um if if so or if not (laughs) either way would really love to hear from you on 0409 945 945. I
3: actually know that, yeah, one of my good friends has quite critical and sometimes argumentative conversations with her partner about things that she has heard about on Agenda. Heck yeah. I'm not going to out her (laughs) on the radio. (laughs) But But yeah, yeah. she's out there. (laughs) Yeah.
2: (laughs) Okay, so Katie, drum roll please. What song do you have for us
3: first? I've been thinking about this a lot. Um, I essentially, yeah, only get to play a few more songs maybe on the radio forever. Um, but in keeping with the theme of agenda music selections often being a little bit ridiculous um, I'm going to play an All Saints song to kick (laughs) off the show today. Uh, This one is from their most recent album that came out this year called Testament um, and the album cover features them in these like grey kind of draped power suits that I'm very into Um, but anyway this song just makes me feel very happy and um, (laughs) there's an article that came out in the cut recently about India Moore um, who stars in Pose and The article is about her self-love and activism. And just, like, bear with me on this because it's going somewhere. But there's this quote from her. She says, when I tell people, oh, I love you, they think it's weird, but that's okay. You don't have to understand. My love is not measured in reciprocity. That's not the way I learned love. And I just feel like this song makes me think about love in this kind of way, like outside of romantic constraints. And it makes me think about everyone I love and how much I've loved doing Agenda like more than anything else. So this is All Saints with Love Lasts Forever. Um, You're listening to the second last show ever of Agenda on FBI Radio 94.5.
4: A theme.
2: All Saints, as chosen by Katie, with Love Lasts Forever. Katie, uh, this week you chatted to Alex DeGaris about Sister Gallery. Yeah, so Alex is one of the co-directors of Sister
3: Gallery, which is an artist-run initiative in Adelaide that recently moved all of their programming online. So Sister's current online exhibition is Xenoblood by In Their Interior, which we'll hear from Virginia Barrett about in a little bit. But first, let's take a listen to Alex talking about uh, Sister's online exhibition platform. The
5: sister started... A while ago with a physical space in Bowdoin. So they had that space for about 18 months or so, and it was a gallery and studio spaces. And now that's, um, done, essentially, we're sort of working online and in sort of with pop-up exhibitions as well. It started with Mia, Vandenbos, but now it's expanded to six co-directors, including me, Kato Boyle, Ren Fuggy, Yusuf Hayat, and Grace Marlowe. So we do stuff online and then have physical things happen as well that have to do with the online exhibitions at the moment. So we have like little workshops that relate to what's happening online. We ask for proposals and people send them in and basically we decide what's gonna be the most viable to put in an online platform. And yeah, that's kind of it. <laughs> There's not an exhibition launch night at all online. Well, there is a night that no one's really physically there. There's a lot of different technical challenges in an online environment as opposed to a um physical space. At the moment, it kind of does feel like we put it out into the world and we don't know where it lands. But we do, like, know that a lot of, like, just from statistics at the web page, so that people are visiting it from all over the world as opposed to just in Adelaide if it was a physical exhibition. I came on board to SISTER in the transition from the physical space to just online. There's always been an online component to SISTER, but I think at the moment it's mainly the the main space is online, just for lack of a physical space. We've got Tessa Rex, who's doing a show online called Everything's Shit and It's Really Bad. It's about uh, climate change, essentially. It's coming online on the 3rd of December. And then after that, we've got a lot of plans, but nothing's completely concrete at the moment. We're looking at different spaces and stuff, but we're not sure exactly what's going to happen, but definitely continuing the online platform.
2: Boys in Town by The Divinals and before that we heard from Alex Degaris who co-directs Sister Gallery. Katie, that track uh, by The Divinals features in Xenoblood, right? Yeah,
3: so part of the work is experimental hypertext fiction. So you click through all these different words that kind of take you down these like cyber rabbit holes um, and some of these end with YouTube links to illustrate, I guess, certain terms and words. So The Divinals is one of those songs that's in the work um, and... In their interior is the collective who created the work, um, which is comprised of Witch Child or Precious Meme Savant, uh, Doll Yoko or Witch Mum and Mum 2.0. So I spoke with Mum 2.0 about Xenofam and becoming an accidental electronic musician um, and co-creation as a mode of art making. So let's take a listen. Thanks so much for chatting to me. Yeah, that's okay. I have so many questions for you about Xenoblood. It's such a huge project and there's so many different elements. And I was wondering if you could start by talking about what the concept of the work is and I guess why In Their Interior decided on so many different elements to kind of form the work.
6: Yeah, I guess the concept came out of a practice of creating family, if you like, in the quotidian or the kind of day to day. So it just grew out of our lives.
4: <laughs> yeah.
6: But I suppose we were looking at where were all those tipping points around creating family was family an appropriate term to continue using was kin. How much of those terms have been associated with systemic violence. So we presented a paper called "Zeno Kin and Queer Morphologies at the Gender, Sex and Sexualities Conference at Adelaide Uni and out of that then we kind of grew the other elements of the project and we are kind of transgenerational, transgendered, transdisciplinary, transplatform people um, working together, co-creating. So our practice is necessarily uh, quite kind of expansive, I suppose, and multiple, hence using all the different kinds of platforms and processes that we used.
3: Yeah, because there are so many different parts of the work. Um, yeah. I, I kind of yeah love that it's the kind of um, multi-user environment online and the avatars, the live performance, um, experimental hypertext yep. fiction and the zine Did you feel like all of those elements kind of came together as born out of all of your different practices? Like how did that kind of, how did you form, because there's so much content, how did you decide on forming (laughs) (laughs) that work?
6: I guess we didn't really decide on forming it. Yeah. I guess it just kind of unfurled from multiple centres. Also, Francesca really loves hypertext. So we're a bit kind of, you know, 1990s in
3: that respect. <laughs> yeah, I loved the hypertext. I loved being able to click on different things that took me down these, like, cyber paths to <laughs> YouTube videos yeah, yeah. and lectures and blogs. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and part of it that I really loved, too, was um, the text clicking through to YouTube songs. Um, yeah. <laughs> like yeah. the Massive Attack song, The Slits. Yes. Um, can you talk a little bit about those songs and why they were used to illustrate certain terms
6: yeah a lot of those links were put in by francesca and i suppose they just describe a bit of a historical trajectory through her life and work from early punk days and you know riot girls through to the stuff that she's more interested in now um some of them were mine and I think you mentioned one which was uh Queers in Fuck You. Yeah. By Agatha which I had just kind of went down a bit of a rabbit hole. We were we had a bunch of old um zines out. We were looking at old homocult zines which come out of Britain in the nineteen nineties. And so then we just started looking at queer core, homocore kind of music and Also, I've been looking at the genesis of some terminology, which we just use on the day to day. Things like not gay as in happy, but queer as in fuck you, (laughs) which of course came out of ACT UP and Queer Nation. But, you know, it's become so memeified that the point at which it ignited into life, you know, has become kind of diffused and, and it also becomes one of those kind of origin stories which are true and not true at the same time. So that's why I was particularly interested in that song. And they also have this other song about panic or is that well, Can I... Kill or someone like that. <laughs> anyway, my PhD work is on panic, so I'm always interested in those incredibly effective kind of sounds
3: Yeah, that song was, I clicked through that song from the phrase Panic Merchant, which was on your avatar page. I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about the avatars of In Their Interior.
6: Yeah, again, I guess they came out of the kind of quotidian, the day-to-day practice of us living together. Our avatars came out of an idea of our relationship to one another. Um, And while we're very well aware that we're kind of creating this strange kind of triadic um, arrangement where Francesca and I act as kind of co-parents of Alice who neither of us have known for very long, Mm -hmm. but who at some point we met when we were doing a performance and Alice said a word like feminism or something and <laughs> I heard it and I went, who is this person who seems very young to be speaking about this stuff? Anyway, obviously Alice had a sense of who we were and our history around VNS Matrix and so on and decided that they wanted in and I suppose we kind of got into this little feedback loop and started to develop some relationships around familial or relationships of kind.
3: Does that kind of uh, link back to this term Xenopham as providing a haven from or extension to the nuclear family unit?
6: So I need to acknowledge that that term comes from Helen Hester, who's one of the Laboria Cubonics Collective. And Helen has just published a book called Xenopheminism and uses the term Xenopham in there to refer to this idea of consciously creating um, family beyond blood ties and that genealogy and uh, blood ties cannot necessarily determine our kinship, I suppose.
3: Um, I'm also wondering about the origin story of the name of the collective in their interior.
6: Yeah, Francesca and I have been collaborating for a long time with the NS Matrix since the 1990s. And we decided, I suppose, that we needed a title to be able to point to that work of co-creation that we do. And I'm really kind of into sci-fi. One of the people who I really like reading is Catherine Valente. And a book of hers that I really like is Silently and Very Fast. And I just started going through the book and There were just three words together in the middle of a sentence in her interior. And we decided to use that. And it also lends itself to opening out so that when we're working with other people, we can be in their interior.
4: Mm -hmm.
3: I guess that kind of leads to this doing it with others approach to art making and privilege and co-creation. Um, as a productive and resistant modality. Um, can yeah. you can you kind of elaborate a little bit on that?
6: Yeah. So first of all, doing it with others really addresses this idea of the singular genius, which we're critical of, and sole authorship because we don't ever believe that anything can exist as come into the world via a single point. And especially as artists, there's this imperative to always create the new the new the next new and the next new and that your worth as an artist and your ability to for example get funded is always based on this idea of innovation and the new and the idea that you would work on say one idea for a really 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 long time I mean, you hear people use this kind of pejorative idea that, oh, they're still doing the same work they were doing Mm. 30 years ago or something like that. And I'm like, well, okay, so maybe they're just doing that work really deeply. So this idea of co-creation is a way of working with all kinds of others and working across disciplines and supporting one another and holding one another up. And when you're having a bad time trying to think up an idea, maybe somebody else can come up with an idea and you can just work on that idea with them. So I think it's kind of anti capitalist. It's a mode of survival. It's
3: Um, Can you also talk a bit about the uh, performance part of Xenoblood?
6: Yeah. Alice and I um, have been working together on making noise and I am interested in vocalities and panic vocalities in particular. So together we've been making this kind of anxious noise and that we've also been calling Xenoblood. So, you know, blood can refer to any number of things.
3: Can we go back to the anxious noise? Um,
6: yeah, is sure. Is a
3: vocal anxious noise, or um, do you make it instrumentally? Mm-hmm. Or?
6: Um, yes, all kinds. So it's um, electronic, I have a looping pedal, and I kind of sing, speak, breathe. So we together perform this improvised mm-hmm. noise.
3: Thank you so much for talking to hmm. me today about Ceno Blood. Will it be online uh, for a period of time or can people kind of uh, access yes, it? Yes,
6: well, it'll be on the front page of sistergallery.com.au until December and then in perpetuity. Until it dissolves into a mass of broken links forever on their archive page.
3: Amazing. Thanks so much for talking to me about the work, Virginia. (laughs) Thank you. and fuck you from Agatha, I guess uh, retrospective language warning on (laughs) today's show. Um, I had a really great time chatting to Mum 2.0 about Xenoblood and I also realised post-interview that Quinn Eads, who I talked to this week as well, is good friends with Mum 2.0, so that's a nice little segue into this next interview. I also talked to Quinn, who co-edited a book featuring queer marginalised voices and their experience during Australia's uh, 2017 volunteer voluntary marriage survey so we spoke about that as well as an upcoming queer stories event called chosen family christmas that quinn is speaking at so let's take a listen thank you so much for speaking to me today about queer stories chosen family christmas So Quinn, for anyone who isn't familiar with Queer Stories, it's a monthly LGBTQIA plus storytelling night and podcast uh, that's hosted and programmed by Maeve Marsden. And this month's theme is Chosen Family Christmas. And I was wondering if you could start by telling me a little bit about how you um, approached that theme.
7: Yeah, sure. So Mays actually asked me to do the piece that I did for Queer Stories in Melbourne, which is a piece called Making Home to All the Lesbians I've Loved Before. It's a story about being a trans person, being a trans person today, who has a feminist lesbian family heritage, I guess. So I was raised by a whole bunch of women in Sydney in the, in the 70s and 80s, which is where my childhood was. Uh, my mum was a sole parent and a, a lesbian and we had a big community around as well that did lots of support stuff. So one of the things I've been thinking about a lot is the, what's sometimes called turf wars, um, but it's this kind of, this lack of understanding and this gap between trans folk and lesbian feminists. And I've been reflecting on how many lesbian feminists have been important to me in my life and I just kind of wanted to send those women a love letter and to try and engage the conversation differently, basically.
3: So the story is kind of a love letter?
7: Yeah, it's a love letter. to. It's about growing up with lesbians, basically, and, um, you know, knowing the top twins, untouchable girls, knowing all the words, uh, mm-hmm. you know, hanging out in the kind of uh, lesbian alternative sort of music space um, as kids being taken to rallies just kind of describing a a queer childhood in the 70s and 80s, basically, which, you know, I think sometimes people think Rainbow Families is a new thing and uh, it's really lovely to stand up as someone who's 44 years old and has a lesbian parent and was looked after by many people in the lesbian community.
3: Um, You also mention queer kinship in I Can't Stop Crying. Um, Mm. maybe actually you can start by talking about those pieces that you did for the Lifted Brow.
7: Uh, Yeah, so during the postal survey last year, it was actually just when it had been announced that the postal survey was going to happen and there was a a rally for for marriage equality in Melbourne that 10,000 people turned up to and I was at the Queensland Poetry Festival and was really thinking a lot about who mobilises and for what, how do we get activist bodies out of the house and onto the streets and for what causes, and I was feeling really distressed that we could get a march of 10,000 people for marriage equality while we see much smaller turnouts for instance, around refugee stuff or black like deaths in custody or treaty um, It's just examples of other kind of political spaces that I think queers have always been good, strong allies in. And we have, you know, in some ways, skin in the game. So there are lots of queer and trans refugees that are seeking asylum, uh, that are also having a terrible time in places like Manus and Nauru. So it came from that space and also from wanting to articulate a lived experience of being a trans person with kids, on the ground during that survey period. and I felt like a lot of um, urgency around writing it. I wrote 18,000 words in about six weeks, I think. And um, the responses that I was getting back from my own community were that people were waiting to read the next one that they really needed to read the complexity of the social, cultural and kind of family space that was being brought up by the survey.
3: And those pieces are going to be in your book that you've co-edited called Going Postal?
7: Yeah, they are. They kind of act as a bit of a spine for the book, so they're paced quite evenly throughout. What we wanted was to sit a whole lot of voices together that were much more difficult to hear because we had this very strong no campaign and yes campaign playing out in the public arena Uh, And there was a lot of what I was seeing on my feed, a lot of us were seeing this, was a lot of distress from people on the ground talking about a note that was delivered into their letterbox, uh, conversations they had to have with other parents at school, whatever the negotiation was, because our lives were up for debate. And I think that's something that, you know, we could have, as a community, capitalised on. I hate that word. But (laughs) I think we had a moment where our rights and, and actually, on some level, our humanness was up for debate. Audrey Lord, I think it is, that you can't always pick the battles, but when the battles come to you, you have to stand and fight. And I think we could have done a lot better in the way we stood and fought, and we needed to use that moment, when the country's attention was on us, to talk about discrimination against trans and gender diverse people, to talk about race and class, and age and disability and to talk about our community as a whole rather than what sort of ended up playing out, which was, in many people's heads, gays and lesbians can get married, therefore equality uh-huh. has been achieved for our community. And those kind of simplified narratives of forward progress in terms of social justice movements can be quite dangerous, I think. There needed to be more and I think many of us are still hurt Activist work is hard work, and I don't want to pit kind of one thing against another, but I think the value of this particular book of Going Postal is that we've tried to have a collective response. There's an attempt to have multiple voices speaking around the same thing, and that when we tell queer and trans histories, they have multiple narratives, that are interwoven, and uh, we need to acknowledge those histories.
3: I just want to read um, a little bit of the description from Paul Karp from The Guardian. Mm -hmm. Um, It's it's just a great quote. Um, So it says, it's an intersectional approach to queer liberation uh, filled with voices so clear and strong, they counterbalance any temptation the white homosexual male might have to unfold the Mission Accomplished banner, which I think is mm. a really apt um, kind of uh, description of what you were just talking about. Um, I'm wondering if mm. you can tell me a little bit about whose stories are featured um, in Going Postal and what some of those, uh, I guess, stories touch on.
7: Yeah, sure. Um, some of the pieces that I I feel really pleased that we were able to Publish, and before I go on, actually, I need to say that the reason we could turn this book around so quickly, so we it was it was conceived in sort of January this year, and it's on the shelves now, and that's incredibly fast for a big project like this. The reason we could do that was because we're working with incredibly generous editors at places like Archer. Uh, Overland, Southerly, The Guardian, who all just said yes, who gave us permission to publish pieces that had already been published on their site. So Nina Lord is someone that I'm really pleased to have in there. She was 15 at the time of the postal survey and she wrote a letter to the newspaper saying that she's 15 and she has two months and that's how the postal survey is affecting her. So we've got Nina's story, for instance, in the same book as Dennis Altman, who is at a conference at the moment called Queer Legacies in Melbourne, talking about 40 years of gay liberation and what that looks like. And, uh, and then we have a tweet from Behrouz Buchani who gave us permission via email correspondence from Manus to put that in the book. And we um, have Candy Royale's amazing essay, The Battle Is Far From Over which was a really important piece of work around how do we as queer and trans people work inside a solidarity framework where no-one gets left behind, where we show up for Black Deaths in Custody rallies as much as we show up for equal or rallies, basically. Um, we've also got really beautiful stories of marriages and relationships and connections. Chloe Sargent has done some lovely profiles of couples. Judy Horacek very kindly uh, gave us four of her fabulous cartoons from the survey period, which are published in colour on the inside of the book. Uh, Simon Hunt, who's better known as Pauline Pantsdown, really kindly wrote a beautiful forward for us. Uh, And then we have someone like Joni Nelson, who was writing about the way that marriage equality was looking for trans people, particularly around the forced trans divorce stuff, which I know is now being kind of evened out, but it's actually not all sorted yet. So I think what the collection does is trouble the reductive idea that a fight for social justice can be won and then it's case closed. Mm. And I don't think anyone's saying that. I don't think anyone from the Yes campaign is saying that either. But I think there's a lot of feeling amongst our communities that actually we needed to do better. We needed to try and win that fight, but also use that platform to talk about all of the varied kind of injustices and prejudices that that LGBTIQA plus people are dealing with on a daily basis.
3: I'm really excited to read those stories and that book, um, and a huge congratulations on um, putting it together. It's launching on Sunday, 9th of December at the Imperial Hotel in Sydney. Can you tell me a little bit about what will be happening on that
4: night?
7: Oh, I'd love to. <laughs> <Right>. So <laughs> we've got the very fabulous drag queen, Felicia Fox, who's going to MC for us and uh, I think she's going to do a drag show for us. Don't hold me to that. DJ Spetter <laughs> has um, volunteered a set, so once we've done some readings, she'll get up and play some music and we'll have a dance. Uh, Simon Hunt will be reading. Chloe Sargent, who's the one I was just talking about, from Adelaide, telling stories of relationships. Uh, Heather Grace Jones. Uh, George Maloof, who's Candy Royale's brother, has agreed very kindly to stand in for Candy on that day. Uh, to read some of the battle as far from over and um, Ms Saffer is an amazing Sydney-based artist who did the Candy mural at the Hub in Newtown, uh, is putting up one of her prints of candy on the day in the space as well which is a really beautiful way for us to kind of acknowledge the Candy's vision for a queer future which is an intersectional vision with social justice issues being addressed and you know, I think she had a really beautiful and strong vision of what our community could look like if there was less lateral violence, if we were working together around multiple kind of issues of injustice. So we just wanted to basically have a queer party and celebrate that we're all still here. Well, not all of us are still here. Most of us are still here. We did lose people during the survey. And that's the other thing. We lost trans lives during the survey.
3: It sounds like it will be a really special and important night. I'll pop a link up on our Agenda show page so that people can know when and where it's happening. Um, Amazing. Thank you so much, Quinn, for talking to me today about Queer Stories and about Going Postal.
7: It's a pleasure. (laughs) So I believe that Queer Stories Family Chosen Christmas is now sold out. There will be copies of Going Postal there alongside the amazing Queer Stories book that Maeve Marsden has edited and Hachette published but there's, I believe, plenty of space at the Imperial Going Postal Launch if people want to come along.
3: And Queer Stories is podcasted, right?
7: It is, people so you'll be able to it. hear it. Great. Yes. Okay. And if you want to hear me and Maeve Marsden singing Untouchable Girl... Oh, my God. <laughs> ...for the second time, because it's yes. already on a podcast. But I think the thing that's beautiful about, about Queer Stories is that we get to tell our lives in detail. These little snippets of our lives, and often when we are in big public conversations about identity, that detail gets lost, and we start only being able to talk in kind of very large categories that enact sameness. And what Queer Stories does is it enacts the absolutely divine difference of all of us in community and whether or not the story you're hearing is your story there are always resonances because we have these kind of cultural indicators that we can recognize and, and I think the reason it's so popular is because we all need to I see like reflections to of ourselves in the world you
4: got my just throw the shade away
3: Fields just there with Shade Away. Quinn Eads uh, chose that track uh, who you heard from just before The Electric Fields and I'm just going quote to quote him on why he chose that song. So he said, this is the song I play when I need to shake off sadness or despair. It reminds me to sing, to move my body and to shift my focus.
2: It is such a good track. I absolutely love it. You are listening to Agenda and for our second last episode ever, we're going rogue and playing some <laughs> of our favourite songs. Katie, you chose All Saints <laughs> at the start of the show. It was a yeah. very great choice. It's quite surprising to be honest because when you told me that you were choosing All Saints, I was like, it's going to be a classic track. But it yeah. no, came out 2018. Mm-hmm. Uh, very still fresh. Still making hits. <laughs> they <laughs> truly are. Um, I've got my song lined up too. But before that, we are currently joined in studio by our producer, Mari. How hey, guys.
1: Thanks for having me in and <laughs> talking about my favorite music. Um, so I kind of thought about this a little bit um, when you guys told me that we were going to choose our favorite tracks. Um, And I thought I'd kind of reflect my personality a little bit in my request. Um, So a lot of people kind of know me by now as having a little bit of a karaoke obsession, um, which you guys have also shared on the radio a few times. Um, So my request today um, definitely ranks up there as one of my favourite karaoke songs ever. Um, and also, just going to throw this out there, um, a lot of people talk about Charlie XCX kind of saving pop music with her 2017 album, Pop 2. Um, and this might be a controversial opinion, but I actually think this particular artist um, made the perfect pop album two years before Charlie XCX. So um, from her 2015 album, Emotion, this is Carly Ray Jepsen with Runaway With Me.
3: Ray Rae just there with Runaway With Me. Our Producer Mari chose that one as a song that is very important to her because it's her karaoke favourite, which <laughs> I'm so happy about. Thanks, Mari.
2: That was so beautiful. I honestly love Kylie Rae Jepsen maybe more than any pop artist. I feel the same. I feel like that record emotion, definitely underrated, incredible album. I listened to it on repeat all the I time. know, I see it on your Spotify. <laughs> Come it's up in my sidebar I mean, of my Spotify. Yeah, literally, it's just emotion and then, like, Charlie <laughs> XCX on. it's yeah, you, literally your, your cycle. All, and, and it's honestly getting me through this sh- shitty part of the end of the year. Like,
3: yeah, yeah, I feel like you got pipped to the post with the Carly Rae Jebson choice. Like, yeah, it's fine. Like.
2: If, if anyone could take it, I would want it to be Mari, and Aww. I'm so glad that you love that song too, Mari. Um, so, to... Uh, and our second last episode of Agenda. Um, I've got a song choice. and as I said earlier, I um, didn't I haven't given myself time to think about um, really like what songs I wanted to choose, but, Uh, This one came to mind. It's from an artist who I've loved since I was a kid, but over time have just grown grown to appreciate more um, when I think about how incredible it is that she exists and has had such a successful career. Uh, She's definitely not perfect. She's a bit of a problematic fave, to be honest. Um, But... I really appreciate her, and this song kind of is perfect, I reckon. It's (laughs) Bad Girls by M.I.A. And catch you next week for our last show. stop it. Um, And do stick around for weekend lunch with Ted Dwyer up after this. You're on FBI Radio 94.5.
0: fast, die young, bad girls do it well. Live fast, die young, bad girls do it well. Live fast, die young, bad girls do it well. Live fast, die young, bad girls do it well. My chain it's my chest when I'm banging on the dash, dashboard. My chain hits my chest when I'm banging on the radio. When come when get When I'm banging on the dash, but my chain hits my chest When I'm banging on the radio Yeah, back it, back it Yeah, pull up to the bumper game, read the signal Cover me, cause I'm changing, I had a handle on it My life, but I broke it When I get to where I'm going, gonna have you saying it If that's that young bad girl, do it, But my chain hits my chest When I'm banging on the radio Chain hits my chest When I'm banging on the dash But my chain hits my chest When I'm banging Get back, get down Pull me closer if you think you can hide Hands up, hands high Don't get screaming if I blow you with a bang Going up to bitch, I'll see for a million Accelerating in the rev you swag can go and swell. Leaving voice behind, kisses it's legal just to kill. Shift, get automatic, damned if I do. Who is gonna stop me when I'm coming through? What we got left is just me and you. Why, if I go to bed, baby, can I take you? Get back, get down. the band If I